This episode, we're going to be discussing the first half of season five, what has worked for us and what hasn't. Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 94. Listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. Trying not to laugh already, I'm your host, Annie. <laughs> and I'm Chris. <laughs> Who's laughing already? She doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> and we are very excited this week to have a special guest with us, our friend Sally. Hi. Hi, Sally. Sally blogs over at weareunaligned.com, and she's been doing recaps of the Season 5 episodes as they've been airing. And so we wanted to include Sally this this week because we are we're talking about Season 5 thus far. And so we didn't get boring and just repeat ourselves. We thought it'd be good to add in an outside perspective that y'all might not have heard before. So thank you, Sally, for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. I intend to be boring. Okay, good. That's That was my plan. <laughs> so I picked a drink special for this episode, and I decided to go with a drink called a Godfather, because, well, you know, the season has been a lot about gods and a lot about, you know, Bo's father, so it seemed appropriate. <laughs> it's uh, The drink involves amaretto and scotch. So let's start with some more general thoughts about the, the first eight episodes as a whole. Though I guess I'll ask you, first of all, what has been your, your favorite episode of the season thus far? We'll start with you, Sally. Guests get to go first. My favorite episode was Like Hell Part 2. I judge these things mainly on my initial... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that's Andy. I'm sorry. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Let's be honest, it's Sally, too. It's a lot of people. <laughs> it's not just me. I just speak for the voice of all those who like the nakedness. <laughs> I'm about to tell you the naked truth. <laughs> I judge my favorite episodes based on my initial emotional reaction to the episode. There are some episodes that I watch them, and I love them, and I laugh the whole way through, and that's what, like, Hell Part 2 was for me. I just felt like all the characters were really there. They were themselves. They were in voice. Everything was funny. And uh, Bo was just awesome. She was really decisive. And everything about it just kind of, it's like in that movie Tin Cup where Kevin Costner as golf pro says, when you hit a golf ball just right and it feels like a tuning fork goes off in your balls. That's what it felt like for me. <laughs> that was an unexpected quote. <laughs> so how about you, Annie? What, what was your favorite episode so far? My favorite episode was... Here comes the night. Because of the nakedness, Because of right? the nakedness. <laughs> See? <laughs> I just really liked that episode, despite the... Well, as Chris pointed out, there was some beautiful lighting, and then there was some too dark lighting. But even the too dark lighting was yeah, kind of pretty, kind of right? pretty. And nakedness, nakedness, pretty nakedness. But And a lot happened in that episode with Ebony and Mark and Vex, and so it really, I think, moved the story forward and opened up to a lot of possibilities of where the characters are going to go. I like it when it's more character-driven. How about you, Chris? Like Hell Part 1. Me too! That was my Woo. pick, too. I picked it because I, I liked all the Bo Kenzie stuff in that a whole lot, and it just felt really like focused and driven. So so what was your your reasons for picking it? Pretty much that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... It, you know, it was a solidly constructed episode. It felt like, you know, getting down to business, like, here's our mission, let's execute the mission. And then it resulted in 
in Bo and Kenzie, like, having girl talk in Valhalla <laughs> and uh, sharing ice cream and stuff. And then Tamsin gets all crazy and possessed, and there's, a, like, a fun fight scene. Tamsin's got crazy eyes, and it's great. So I was reflecting on the first half of season five, and I gotta say, I felt generally disappointed. And I was trying to think of, okay, what has worked for me and what hasn't worked for me? And the column, the what has worked for me column, much, much shorter than the what hasn't worked for me column, which makes me sad. And I do wonder if if it's an effect of having a lot of expectations for these episodes because it's the last season of the show. And I, I usually try to check my expectations at the door and try to evaluate the episodes on what they actually did versus what I would have rather they done. But even when I did that, I was still disappointed in most of these episodes. I felt very wishy-washy about most of them. So in regards to what has worked for me, the the through storyline has worked for me pretty well. And that's that was mainly it. <laughs> like, I think Tamsin's character arc has been pretty good, but those were my two things that has worked for me so far. But even on Tamsin, the Tamsin bit, I have like conflicting feelings, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. So how about how about you, Chris? What did what is your general thoughts about what has and hasn't worked for you? Well, you know, I've talked about this a lot, and I'm generally in agreement with you. I, I think the through line story of, you know, the ancients and getting into Bo's backstory, family history stuff, I think that's been pretty good for the most part. I'm not super in love with the fact that the the ancients are the gods, the Greek gods. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that exactly. Just because the entire series, it's been, you know, that the mythological things are sort of like a version of reality, but now it's like, they're doing sort of a one-to-one thing and it's getting very sort of mixed up, at least in my mind. I, I'm, ugh, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm mostly okay with that storyline, though. I'm glad that they're focusing on the mythology. I'm glad that they're carrying it through the season. But I feel like we're losing a lot of character stuff along the way. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the character stuff isn't as strong this season. And that's just, uh, it's it's driving me crazy. Because as I've said numerous times on on the podcast, I watch the show for the character stuff. I love the characters so, so much. And and I think you've mentioned this before, Stephanie, that it feels like a lot of this season, especially in the middle of this first half, Bo's kind of getting sidelined a lot, or, or is being used as an instrument to carry plot forward more than developing any character stuff. A lot of the stuff she does, it, it doesn't feel quite right to me. Does that sufficiently answer your question, it Stephanie? It does. So how about, how about you, Stephanie's Sally? like, too much. <laughs> so how about you, Sally? Well, I think the pacing this season is working for me. And, um, you know, the only I can only compare it to season four because the first three seasons of Lost Girl, I was catching up to them, not watching them week by week and, you know, having a week in between to wonder about things and analyze them. You know, the pacing of the reveal of the storyline about the ancients, you know, I think we're getting enough new information in each episode that it's not frustrating, but we're not getting so much information all at one time that it feels like a letdown in terms of that storyline. And, you know, I like them. I was not too fond in season four of the other main guest character, 
<clears throat> who uh, who joined us for lots of season four. I can't remember his name, but I think it started with the letter R. <laughs> you know, we, but I we try not to utter that name on the podcast anyway, so it's fine. It shall fun. not yep. be named. You shall yes. not be named. <laughs> Thank you. I knew I felt at home here, <laughs> but I love Z and Horatio and you know Iris, and you know I especially love. Horatio, you know what's weird is like I refer to Z as Z most of the time, not as Zeus, but Horatio I refer to as Hera. We'll have to is think it about Horatio's a dumb name. <laughs> hey, I apologize to any people named Horatio listening to the no, podcast. No, with the with the with the E is what I'm saying. Oh, oh. Well, I think they were. That's how they refer to them on the show, though. We've mostly heard Zeus, quote unquote, Zeus referred to as Z, and and Hera referred to as Hera. So. I think that's Everybody's probably referred why. to, yeah, by their their female identity, whether or not they were originally female, whether or they're not. in a female body or not. Exactly. So, um, and that is as it should be. So, <laughs> I I like the pacing, and I like you know these um, guest stars for this season, and you know I think that things are moving along. I do what you said, Chris, kind of resonates with me about maybe not quite as much character growth. It kind of feels like. There's a lot of shorthand for what we already know that the characters have been through. And so, you know, we have to kind of fill in the blanks ourselves or make, you know, leaps about, you know, what might be going on in the characters' minds. But there's a lot to laugh about, you know. So I, I like those things so far. Um, I think the, the Greek thing is interesting. It's kind of keeping me on my toes because I think I know some stuff about Greek mythology, but I don't think we can take any of it as canon, because in the Lost Girl world, you know, they've told us before that the Fae like to spread myth so they can hide in the myths or behind the myths. But, you know, it's going well. I have a lot less anxiety this season than I did in season four. I felt like the season four episodes were very dense and heavy on symbolism that seemed to be pointing to things. You know, we're only halfway through season five right now. Ask me again when the whole series is over. Maybe I'll have a different answer or maybe I'll Maybe it'll be the same, but, you know, at the end of season four, I was like, wait a minute, what happened? You know, what, what prophecy, what happened? Okay. And then in season five, you know, it seems like they're heading toward setting themselves up right now to be able to wrap it up more crisply. I mean, they are, I think that is part of the burden of season five, right? Is they're under the weight of all this expectation because it is the final season and they did spend the past season and a half building up to some big finale. And so... Yeah, I guess that's part of my issue, too, is that here they've spent all this time with the, the prophecies at the very end of season four, and we haven't really had follow through, to me, on the prophecies. Like, I think they referenced it once or twice that Bo is the queen, but... But they Bo also referenced that when she was dark, sucky Bo, so the prophecy wasn't necessarily all that crucial to get that, that plot element in there. So yeah, I agree. It feels like they've they've dropped the whole prophecy aspect. Prophecies are the worst. They are. They are. So how about you, Annie? What are what are your kind of general thoughts about the season? I kind of agree with a lot of with a lot of what's been said. I think it's just it's been okay, but it hasn't been great. There are some aspects I like, but as you say, it's kind of uneven for me. There are some things that I wish could be improved upon where I wish more time was spent on character development and not so much on plot of the week. And the ancient storyline has taken me a while to uh, get used to, and to it's kind of grown on me by now, but 
you know, the reveal was a little slow for me. I always prefer a little quicker reveal. But as you say, I wish Bo was more in the center of things. And, you know, Dyson and Lauren, that they weren't just on the side solving the case. It's like I said, it's frustrating because it's the last. I think for me, the pacing has been off because it is the last season and it hasn't built as well as I thought expected or wanted it to be. Uh, yeah, it just overall, it's been okay. There have been a lot of funny moments, but, you know, I like Lauren's humor, but, you know, I had a lot of expectations, and it's just, a lot of episodes have been okay, but they haven't been great for me. Yeah. It, you know, and then they introduce characters like Mark, who I wasn't really a fan of, and they're spending a lot of screen time on things that I don't necessarily want to see, or things that I felt could be tightened up in the writing, you know, and I really realized as I was uh, thinking about it how much I miss Kenzie and how much I want to see that character yeah. back because the dynamic has shifted so much with her gone. I, I do want to be clear, though. I don't dislike this season. I'm enjoying it, but it's just, it is the fact that there's the ticking yeah, clock, I think. Yeah, I think right? if there was another season or if this wasn't the last one, we wouldn't have this sense of kind of urgency or a little bit of impatience going, you know, what's going on? I don't want to rehash stuff that we've hashed already. So I just want to mention things that we've mentioned that haven't really worked for us. I don't know if you noticed last week, I had a minor rant about minor? Lauren's relationship. <laughs> My minor, minor. It was practically not noticeable. <laughs> so I, I won't <laughs> I won't repeat myself. You know, we've talked about that frustration around lack of follow through with Bo and Lauren's relationship. We also got a comment from RH indicating that that's been a frustration for them as well. Though I will say this is a comment that somebody left on our web website from CC, and then Stacy also sent in an email about this. I part of my rant was a feeling frustrated about what Bo said at the party scene in End of Phase, and feeling like Bo was saying that, well, initially I was okay with it just being a one-time thing. Blah blah. blah. Here's what CC said that sort of gave me a different perspective on that scene, and I'm I'm better with it now. So CC said when Bo said she was not okay with it as a viewer, I initially thought she was saying they had made a mistake. I was like, Bo, no. When she explained that she was okay with it, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. I think that was meant to clarify the same thing to Lauren. I took it as Bo clarifying she was okay with the fact they slept together, because at first it sounded like she meant she wasn't, and they had made a mistake. Then she clarified and said, no, I was okay with it happening, just not okay with it being only once. I can get behind that. I think maybe Bo's line could have been a bit more clear in that regard, but I can accept that reading of that moment and forgive Bo and give her a little more slack. <laughs> It's kind of how I interpreted it. Just that, mm -hmm. no, I want this Me to too. go on beyond what you're saying of just once. She's trying to stop Lauren before she goes on her kind of self-protective rant about, wait, 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 let me save you the trouble. Okay, I don't want to get my heart crushed again. Let's. It's just once it's over, done and done. So thank you to Cece and Stacy for writing in with that interpretation. And then uh, we've also mentioned a couple of times that, especially Chris and I, we haven't really understand Bo's strong reaction to learning that her father is Hades, or additionally, why she's been keeping that a secret from people. And it's kind of like, what's in a name, as I think uh, my friend Elizabeth put it in a tweet. You know, she knew her dad was a pretty bad guy, and her strong reaction to, oh, he's Hades, it just doesn't really make sense to me. Hmm. Yeah. Unless it's the fact that there are actually the ancient Greek mythology is real to some extent. Like, unless it's that, I, I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been thinking about this since you guys have talked about it from week to week. And so Bo's raised as a human. She thinks she's a human. And then 
realizes something is not quite right when she's 18. And then when she's 28, she finally learns, okay, there's this thing called the Fae and, you know, this is what I'm part of. And then she learns in the first couple of seasons, maybe the, in season three too, that her father is someone bad um, who did something bad to her mother, to Aoife. And, you know, she gets more and more details about that. And But up until then, it's still all something new, like something uh, kind of abstract that she doesn't have a previous frame of reference for because the Fae are new. But then when she learns that Hades is her father, I mean, we assume that she grew up somewhere in the Midwest or the Great Plains. And um, probably her education, you know, she learned some Greek mythology and, you know, knowing that Hades is a real person maybe puts all of that in a different context, you know, because if she had assumed previously that her father was the dark King or someone associated with them, you know, that is one thing, but Hades has a whole body of lots of has been written about him. Maybe that's why the added punch. I also don't get it though. I think I'm just grasping it, you know, any reason I can think of to try and explain it. Right. Right. And we know she did learn about mythology in school because she says in episode two of this season, because remember, she was talking to Persephone and she knew the mythology about the pomegranate the seeds because yep. mm-hmm. of the cute teacher. Yep. Right. The rugby player. Well, again, you guys were wondering why I was like, so, well, she was born in hell. That's pretty sad. And you guys are like, what's the big deal? I'm all, I think it was a big deal. Just again. Yeah, I agree from both perspective of growing up as a human and. I don't know, maybe it was a straw that broke the camel's back. It's like, oh, and he's Hades? So, I don't know. I I do wish Bo had told more people. Yeah. Things we haven't mentioned before as much. I'm kind of thinking, where is the light-dark divide this season? It's been mentioned once, which is strange to me, given that it's the last season of the show, and it's been such a important piece of this world for the first four seasons. It seems weird to me that suddenly it's just not getting mentioned at all. And the one mention was that it was sort of in flux, which would make you think that there's more story there. Right. <laughs> but so, yeah, it's weird that we've gone eight episodes and that's been the only. And that's the thing, I think, the disadvantage of shifting the story so much to Bo's father and to the ancients and to this new threat to the Fae when we have this original divide that was so central to the plot and that was originally made the the world you know, fascinating and so crucial. You know, I think one of the things we might have speculated about was what about, you know, is there going to be a big buildup between the dark and the light? What happened to Bo's dark contract? Things like that. And they just, as you say, haven't been mentioned. There's a lot of things they could address, and maybe they will or won't in eight remaining episodes. I don't know. But, you know, also about the Hades thing, this analogy just came to mind. Imagine if you were you know, raised in the U.S., whatever, and then at 18, you had to leave home, and so you spent 10 years, whatever, and then all these people were after you, and you were 28, and you start to learn that maybe your biological parents were bad people, and, you know, you get more and more information, but everyone's keeping stuff from you, and you start to do your own investigation, and then you go to Germany, and you find out your father was actually Hitler. Maybe that is why it was such a shock for Bo. Maybe Hades is akin to Hitler for that. And maybe that's why she didn't tell anybody. Maybe she's ashamed. Well, and I guess, you know, we can we can sit here and we can speculate on why. But I, I guess I want to tie it up with the fact that this is something that could have really been a strong little character arc for Bo that the writers could have used. And instead, we're just left guessing, like, why? Why? Like, what is Bo thinking about this? I guess that's his 
for the purposes of this review, kind of what I what I want to point out is I, I feel like there could have been a stronger little arc explaining why this has been so such a huge revelation to Bo. And Stephanie's friend Elizabeth says, I still don't quite get the reaction to the name Hades, but I know who my real father is. So there's that. And then finally, and I wanted to mention that I feel like there should have been more fallout from Kenzie leaving because it was addressed somewhat in Big in Japan, but then it pretty much vanished. And, you know, maybe the way that Bo's relationship with Tanzen developed was supposed to be in response to Kenzie being gone. And that was there for like a little bit, but it wasn't super clear to me that that was sort of what they were going for with Bo and Tamsin ultimately sleeping together. So that felt a little missing for me. Yeah, I co-sign that. There's a lot of filling in the blanks that you have to do with this show. Well, yeah. yeah and For better or worse. It was like, Kenzie was mentioned, and then she dropped off the face of the earth, character-wise and script-wise. And it's it's sad to see a character that was so essential to the show and as Bo's sister. Just, yeah, I agree. There should have been more fallout as you say and man i can't wait for her to come back it just but yeah there have been like two mentions of kenzie leaving and that bothering Bo. but that's yeah that's it. like the other things right they they bring stuff up once or twice so that it's still in your memory but they're not really addressing it in to me not addressing it in a meaningful way right exactly what has been y'all's favorite scene thus far Again, we'll start with a guest, Sally. Oh, great. Let me remember what it was. Oh, I think that I put as my favorite scene uh, most of like when Bo was a cat and uh, all of the slapstick scenes that were in that episode. I just laughed and laughed. I loved it when she was drinking her martini, batting the salt <laughs> shaker around, like batting at the mirror. And um, Ow. <laughs> I loved Stress it. Panting. I loved it. That too. I loved it when uh when Lauren's face ended up in the cake. I know that was controversial, but everything. <laughs> like I just loved all the physical comedy. It was so well, funny. You know, that's that's great. Like some people like slapstick more than others. Like I'm not a huge fan, so I was kind of like rolling my eyes a little bit, but it was well done slapstick comedy if that's your thing. So I totally understand why why you would enjoy that episode. It's kind of like that emotional reaction versus, like, you know, intellectual appreciation after the fact. Like, I just laughed and laughed the first time <laughs> yeah. I saw it. By the, by the way, I have to interject. Um, I, I did have a Skype call with Zoe Palmer, and she said that cake was three or four of them, not just one. So we have to give her props. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, yeah, it was good cake, though. <laughs> so how about you, Annie? What, what has been your favorite scene uh, so far? So hard to decide. <laughs> Docu dance into docu sex, maybe. You have to pick one. You cannot pick a like fifteen minute long segment. The dance between Bo and Lauren because it was so. You know, you had Bo on a different plane of expectation, going, "What's going on?" And then Lauren telling her, "No, I'm in it for myself." And and then, as you as say, it was just a real connection between. I'm going to get sappy here. These people are just, they're always going to have that connection and they're always going to love each other no matter what happened. You know, even if they'd said they were exes or they were girlfriends, they still have this undeniable attraction to each other that goes beyond just mere sex, as great as the sex is. To see all of that reflected without dialogue as they finally, finally kiss. Yeah, that was great. How about you, Chris? I also went sappy. Except it's happy in a completely different way. 
Because it's in the first episode of the season, Bo goes and finds Kenzie and Valhalla, and they have that conversation where Bo says to Kenzie, like, if you want to stay in Valhalla, stay in Valhalla and be with Hale. Like, that's okay. I will miss you, but I would rather you be happy. And that sort of thing always gets to me. Selflessness. Yeah. I don't know if this is the same scene we're talking about, Chris. It might just be a follow-up. But my favorite scene has been also in Like Hell Part 1, where Bo is giving Kenzie her some things, you know, like something something new, something old, something borrowed. And then she tells Kenzie that she's sorry she couldn't save her and that Kenzie saved her life every day. And yes, the dialogue gets a little cheesy, but I don't care. Like this scene, it takes me from like laughing to kind of getting teary to laughing again. And because they finally, you know, are getting ready to go into the banquet hall and and Kenzie's like, let's do this shit. And <laughs> to get married to my dad? It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just a great scene. And it's Bo and Kenzie and just an encapsulation of their fantastic little bond. But that's what's so great about the Bo and Kenzie scenes, right? They're, mm-hmm. They are like that. They span the emotional range. Yeah. What has, what has been your, your favorite character arc then, Chris? We'll t- ask you first. To me, this feels like sort of a trick question because I feel like there's only one main character who really got an actual <laughs> character arc. They, the others had, like, storylines or something that lasted, like, an episode or two. But, like, for an arc of the first half of the season, I think the only character that really qualifies is Tamsin. Yeah. Although I will give a shout out to Vex, because I feel like Vex has gotten sort of a good character arc, too. How about you, Sally? It's Tamsin. She's gone through some stuff, and it's been alternatingly endearing, uncomfortable poignant to watch an experience with her. I did put this in. So everyone hold on to your stuff. I'm about to say <laughs> that my honorable mention character arc is Mark. What? So I what? know, I know, I know. So here's the deal. And like, Stephanie says the character arc of my fist heading towards his face. <laughs> <laughs> here's why. Like when he first came on the scene, I thought he was so irritating and I was yeah. irritated that we were being subjected to him. And it's different you now. <laughs> well, He's become, to me, progressively less irritating. And I actually, in episode eight, I, I kind of liked how he was persistent with Iris when she was feeling down on the balcony and trying to, you know, he tried several different strategies to engage her and to get her out and talking about how she was feeling. And, you know, he didn't give up even when she was trying to rebuff him. And then, you know, when they were in the house and Iris ripped out her vessel's father's heart, it was kind of futile, but he was trying to help the guy. He was trying to stop the bleeding. And, you know, even though he could easily have run, you know, avoided any association with it, you know, he didn't run away. He tried to help. He irritated me at first greatly, but maybe he's on some sort of button hook character arc and he's going to come through and become a good guy. How about you, Annie? Again, it's kind of like a default that Tamsin is the one who's had the biggest yeah. arc. Because it really got to, sh- again, it really got to show off the range of Rachel Carson's uh, abilities as an actress. And I really, really have enjoyed seeing that. Well, I picked Tamsin as well. So let's go ahead and, and start talking about Tamsin's character art. And, and we got a couple of, of emails from 
one from Somewhat Addicted and one from Bali Golly. And I thought they were interesting. So Somewhat Addicted said, I've loved Tamsin's journey and I hope we explore more of her backstory. I feel she's really integral to the ending. And then Bali Golly said, most unwelcome plot, Tamsin's obsession with Bo. If they're going to make Tamsin suffer unrequited love, then there had better be a good reason, such as Tamsin getting back at Bo later. If all is forgiven when, when episode 509 starts, I'll be quite pissed. And I wanted to pair these because I, I feel like they kind of capture the conflicted feelings I have about Tamsin's storyline. Because for me personally, like Chris said, she's really the the only character who's gotten a really well-developed storyline. It's been clear in each episode, sort of her characters progressing from here to here. And I think Rachel Scarson, like Annie said, did, has done a really good job with the material. We've gotten some great scenes from her. But at the same time, the reason that we... I think a lot of the reason why we got this plot is that the writers didn't follow through on Bo and Lauren being in a relationship, (coughs) which they were, in my opinion, very strongly (laughs) suggesting in Dark Horse. So it's like, I appreciate that they crafted a pretty good storyline for Tamsin, but I don't like that they took this hard right turn to get to be able to do that storyline. What the hell? (laughs) And made Annie have a freak out in the man. Yeah. (sighs) I agree with that. I mean, I think that it's not just the delivery of the lines that Tamsin has spoken, but, you know, all the other pieces that go with acting, you know, facial expressions, body language, you know, kind of changing emotion and reflecting that in your face and body. Rachel Scarson has done an amazing job. And, you know, I'm not just like watching it and interpreting it, but I'm also feeling what she's going through. So, you know, she's making me feel it. You know, it's been intense. Something in thinking about her character arc is when we saw in Valhalla that she seemed to become possessed when she was there. You know, she even said, like, I don't like the person I become when I'm here. I don't like the things I do when I'm here. And, you know, I think that in the story, it seems like, you know, she did become you know, maybe possessed or otherwise like compelled by an outside force to try and take Bo again uh, and deliver him to her employer, maybe. But I thought it was also seemed to me like a metaphor for the type of environment that Valhalla was because Freya, you know, is not a nurturing woman. She seems to foster a lot of competitiveness between the Valkyries and Tamsin's relationship with Stacy. If we can take that as a proxy for the relationship between all the Valkyries, like they're not friends. They compete with each other for status and who's the favorite. And that just sounds like an awful, stressful environment to grow up in time and time again, if you have many lives as a Valkyrie. And for me, it helped me to understand why, Tamsin's rebirth in season four and then growing up with Bo and Kenzie raising her was so important for her. You know, I think that we knew intellectually before maybe it was the first time she grew up in a family and being loved, but then seeing where she came from and knowing what she'd experienced before, like it made me feel it as opposed to just knowing it. You know, there's that scene between Tamsin and Bo after they sleep together where Bo is sort of confessing things to Tamsin. And it sort of occurred to me that really, and I think we've talked about this some, but I was thinking about it more, that really they they would make good confidants for each other because from what we know of each of their upbringings, they've had somewhat strict upbringings. So it makes sense that maybe they'd have a better understanding of each other than maybe any of the other characters would really have uh, in terms of that particular experience. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
But I guess I just I can't say enough. I think Rachel Carson has done a really good job this season, and and I really appreciate what she's been bringing to to Tamsin's journey throughout these episodes. Yeah, I just I really want to compliment her a lot. I think she's been doing a great job. She is. She's season MVP for me. Oh yeah, thus far for me too. I, I will say about Tamsin's journey. I think that. I don't know. I mean, I think she was a natural fit for Bo after Kenzie left to be the partner in crime, and they work well together on their cases, but I, I don't know. I feel like it was almost fan service and a plot point that the writers are like, okay, Tamsin's been with everybody, or excuse me, Bo's been with everybody. Let's give Bo and Tamsin a shot. But I just, I feel so bad for the character that it just ended up in this unrequited love or that, you know, things are not resolved between them, that it's just always going to be an issue between Bo and Tamsin. And as, um, you know, the one person who wrote in was saying, if they just say, well, all's, all is forgiven, you know, that makes it very complicated. And I feel like it's just kind of glossing over stuff. So I really wonder how Tamsin is going to feel towards Bo when she hopefully wakes up from, from Z's lightning bolt and does, still has her wings, that they at least acknowledge what happened between them and not just have this hostility between them. Zigzig28 says, I totally agree. I sometimes think they added Tamsin's story because Kenzie isn't there. This this maybe ties back to what I was talking about earlier. Again, I feel so turned about this plotline because I think it's, you know, it's been the most solidly written. I think Rachel's done a good job with it. But I also feel like it with Bo and Tamsin sleeping together eventually, I should be clear, I feel like it ultimately just kind of made people look bad, specifically Bo. But, it, you know, it also, I think, made Tamsin look a little naive and silly as well. I was going to say that the thing that I the problem I have with the story is it feels like Tamsin and Bo are both being sort of more naive than we've seen them before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like inexplicably. Yeah. They, they sacrifice some of their usual savviness in order to make this work and like i mentioned it felt like the the whole fallout of kenzie leaving got dropped and i and maybe this would have worked better for me if the writing had made it more clear that Bo was really latching onto tamsin because of kenzie's absence and i was thinking maybe in in it's your lucky fae where they where they sleep together if they had even maybe swapped the two scenes where Bo's is kind of confessing to tamsin about finding out her father is Hades and maybe that being a precursor to them sleeping together. Like this idea that Bo was just missing Kenzie so much and she got close to Tamsin because of it. And it led to this thing happen that she didn't mean for, for it to happen, but it's just sort of a consequence of missing her friend and feeling a connection to somebody again. So emotional intimacy leading to physical intimacy. Yeah, So that maybe would have worked better for me. I was thinking about that this earlier today. Well, and again, as we've discussed before, being more clear that, Bo could have been clearer with Tamsin, look, this is where we stand, sooner after they slept together. Yeah, I agree with you guys, how it was just not right of Bo and, you know, not not so mature for her to let it go on so long, because that wasn't fair to Tamsin. Because instead, it makes it seem like Bo had no idea that Tamsin was crushing yeah. on her, which I really can't buy. Yeah. Just personally. It seems pretty weird. I guess I can't buy that either, but on the other hand, I think that what we saw from Bo is that she really didn't seem to have any idea about how Tamsin felt about her. And maybe she was deliberately ignoring it. But, you know, it wasn't until... Tamsin calls her girlfriends? Calls them girlfriends? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't until that that she was really like, okay, I've got to face the music here. But at the same time, you know, there's that moment in Groundhog Fay 
where they kiss and expecting maybe something to happen to the time loop. And Bo says, ah, nothing. And Tamsin says, speak for yourself. Bo has a pointed look there. And then hmm. back in, I must have been when God opens a window, when, you know, Bo has that arrow wound thingy in her in her shoulder and you know they're sitting in the kitchen with lauren and tamsin's kind of like you know whatever we need to get going and kisses her and Bo has this reaction kind of like she and this is me interpreting more in this scene but you know Bo has this reaction kind of like she knew that this was kind of a jealousy move from tamsin because mm-hmm. lauren was sitting there so even in this season i feel like there are moments that suggest Bo was aware of the fact that tamsin had a crush on her so i just don't buy it personally I think you've convinced me. And Nick QC says, sorry for me too much, Tamsin. And there's a problem with your show if your lead is not called the MVP at midpoint of season. True. I agree. Yep. I agree. So unfortunately, Sally had to leave us. She had a, a, an event to attend with her family, but we thank her for being with us as long as she could. So let's move to talking about Bo's story arc, because I feel like a lot of our problems that we had with Tamsin's story arc spills over into problems that we've had with Bo's story arc. And like Chris mentioned, I feel like Bo has, in the middle part of the season, Bo is just kind of not there in, in regards to a character arc. She was driving the A-plots, but she didn't really have anything going on major with her in in those episodes. And I'll, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. If we think back to season one in the episode Dead Lucky, you have Bo running around dealing with the body jumpers. But on top of that, you also have Bo and Dyson trying to negotiate this friends with benefits relationship. In Food for Thought, for example, you know, you have the main story arc of Kenzie getting sick and Bo trying to get that cure. But you also have in that episode, Bo trying to master her abilities so that she can feed off of humans and not kill them. So that's what I'm talking about. You have the A plot, but then you have something else that's going on with just Bo. And I was thinking- Or even, what was the uh, the second season episode where she's at the gym? Oh, Raging Faye. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. There's that episode where, you know, there's the A plot, but the A plot ties directly back into character mm-hmm. stuff. Right. I miss that. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think back to, like, When God Opens a Window, It's Your Lucky Faye, and um, what's the one following that? Clear Eyes Faye Hearts. Like, there are moments where it's like, oh, Bo got a mysterious package from her father, and that bothered her. Or, oh, Bo confesses something about her father to to Rachel. It, it, to, not Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> to Tamsin. The characters are talking what? to the actors. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on? It's been these like moments of usually related to Bo's feelings about her father, but it hasn't been a big arc that really carried through the episode. And because of that, it just feels like we have all these gaps into what was what was Bo thinking in regards to that. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, Chris and I, we don't really understand her whole reaction to finding out her father is Hades and why that's so awful. We have a lot of questions as to what was she thinking in regards to sleeping with Tamsin. So that feels like a huge hole in the middle of the season for me. Yeah, what was she thinking in regards to Lauren? Where was their relationship at the right. beginning of the season and Dyson? And and I feel like the Bo's character arcs or lack of character arc has been sacrificed just to get the ancient storyline going. So it's it's again where it's a lot of screen time on stuff that I that could be off screen, but we have to fill in the holes of stuff that is off screen that we'd want to see on screen that have to do with Bo's character development. Yeah, there's not enough this season of Bo's thought process yeah like her her internal life is not at all on screen anymore 
does that make sense? Yeah, her struggles. Like, absolutely. Her, yeah. Like before, I think this is part of maybe reflective of Kenzie not being there too, right? Because before right. Kenzie was there and they'd have heart to hearts every so often, which was really good for the viewers because, you know, they'd, they'd be honest with each other. That was sort of the big thing. And I don't know, I hesitate to say that it's because Kenzie's not there because I feel like we're at the point where Bo is so close to the other people in her life. She could be having these conversations with the other people in her life. Right. Like it would make yeah, sense narratively mm-hmm. to have her talking to other people about this stuff to at least give us some clue as to where Bo is, but they're not right. doing it. And I don't really understand why they're not, unless it is just that they're sacrificing it for plot stuff. But, but why? Yeah. Cause not and all I don't of think that stuff is that necessary either. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of that, as a consequence, we end up wondering, well, Bo seems naive in her relationship with Tamsin, has, we have to fill in holes with Lauren, etc., etc. And that's not what you want for a character for the last season. You don't want them looking, like, empty-headed. <laughs> uh, she, Yeah, she becomes more of just a plot device rather than a full, full-blown character. She's not fully realized in some of these episodes because we don't have that window into her interior mind or her interior life so so yeah that's that's really been a big weakness of this season for me is i just feel like where's Bo at i know she's there on screen but i don't feel connected to her i feel lost i feel disconnected from Bo. and i know a lot of people were saying that about Bo last season but to me it made more sense last season because we had the context of what had been happening in Bo's life and she was very clearly thrown by you know everything that had happened and not knowing what exactly had happened. You know what I mean? Like she was clearly <sighs> out of sorts. Last season, I didn't feel disconnected in, from Bo until the whole, he's my destiny reveal. And those yeah, last yeah. few episodes before then, I felt like I was with the whammy. Yeah, it was the, wh- the whammy. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're sticking to the whammy. I, am, I will not be convinced. <laughs> otherwise. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but before then, I, I knew where Bo's head was at in regards to how she felt about what was going on, even though I know some people felt like they did. They felt like she was being overly mean or closed off or what have you. I, I still understood where her head was at. But this season, I feel like I don't understand where her head is at in a lot of the episodes, especially since it started out this season. They started out very much where they left off at the end of season four, where yes. it's like, okay, Bo is found her sense of purpose again. Yeah. Like it started off that way, and then it just it felt like it went it away veered off. again. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now I just I don't I don't understand anymore, and it's been frustrating. Yeah, Sally, her she left a note. We have notes, guys. We make outlines. <laughs> so and if in we our, don't in- follow them, Stephanie gets mad. <laughs> <laughs> so Sally, she she wrote a note in Bo's section saying, I love Bo's decisiveness and determination in episode two. I like it when she makes stuff happen rather than reacting to things. And yeah, I think that's that's what we're getting at. At the beginning of the season, it felt like Bo's here. She's making decisions and we understand where she's at emotionally. And then she just kind of disappeared after about yeah. episode three for me. Yeah. So we want Bo back. Bring Bo back. <laughs> She's been more present in these past couple of episodes, but still not to the mm-hmm. point where I want her. She hasn't felt as central to the story as I as I want her to be. Which is weird. It, it just is. it feels off. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about Lauren. And he perks up. 
Sorry. <laughs> I feel like for 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 Lauren and Dyson both, I they they've both had some nice moments. I think this season, but they haven't had the strongest through storylines. And it, you know, one of my favorite moments for Lauren this season so far has been her saying, "You know, yeah, I'm the boss. I can take an early lunch." Ha ha. So I, I liked her saying, "I'm the boss," and then I then I've also liked seeing her developing relationship with Dyson has been nice, especially in Big in Japan. I thought they had some nice moments together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it does feel like a progression more than an arc. Yeah, and I think my frustration is is that there haven't been character arcs for two of my favorite characters in the way they've developed. I really liked where Lauren and Dyson were at the end of season four and where they were in relation to Bo, but the storylines that I wanted to see developed weren't in correlation with Bo. It was Dyson and Lauren working together on the threat to Lauren with the serum, but because the first time the serum is mentioned and when Lauren is getting death threats, Bo isn't even in the scene. And I wish... It had been all of them working together on that, and that Bo had known about that. But instead, I feel like Dyson and Lauren have just been on the sideline going, what's going on with the case? And where they should have been more front and center and should have been more part of the central storyline along with Bo, and that they'd all been informed and all been on the same page and all been discussing things so that we all emotionally knew, you know, where Bo was and where her head was at. You know, as we say, we were talking about Bo and Lauren and how they seemed to be in 501 and 502, Bo's wearing the necklace, and that it seemed to be a really important point. And then Bo just refers to Lauren as her ex later, and Lauren says, oh no, I'm going to step back and we're just going to be friends. And yet there's this conversation missing off screen. When did we get to that point? So that's been really frustrating to see. You know, I wish that, uh, you know, Lauren's storyline just intertwined with Bo, or that Bo was drawn more into the storyline so that those two characters knew where they were in relation to each other. And it took until episode seven for that to happen. And to me, that was a really long wait. Lauren's storyline has been, her arc has been in regards to her professional life. She's found yeah. a niche for herself outside of being indentured an indentured servant to the Fae, and she's feeling confident and happy in that, and we've seen her deal with, with that in those regards. Uh, but it hasn't been as meaty yeah, it seems like most of her interactions with the other characters, it's, you know, training with Dyson, which I've enjoyed, and sniping back and forth with Tamsin, which I have not enjoyed. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we we have this point in the storyline, I feel like we have to move beyond all the sniping and this and that and just move forward as a united front against this big bad that you're creating, but it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why the writers chose to put that moment in Big in Japan, where Lauren reaches out to Tamsin and it says something kind of nice to her and Tamsin gets emotional and she tears up. I don't understand why they put that in front of all of the sniping that went between went on between the two of them subsequently. Made no sense at all. Why didn't they save that for later in the season if that's where they were going with their relationship? But I don't want to get too heavy into into speculation in this episode because we're trying to discuss more what's already happened. But I did want to mention a few things that I, I think have been indicated in the storyline so far. I feel like another confrontation between her and, and Ebony is imminent because how long can she keep blackmailing her? It seems like, yeah. she'll you know, Ebony will come up with something else to try to turn the situation. Oh, especially since Ebony clearly knows what's going on. Yeah what Lauren's doing. Right. So. And I, we wonder what Lauren's doing with her research, etc. 
Will it be used against the ancients? Can it be used against the ancients? And then, of course, there's the whole aspect of her serum. Will that come into play? Mark's, uh, or Mark's question about it and Lauren's response that that took me months, I can't just turn these ancients human, indicates to me that it might not in the ancients plot, but it's still this thing that could put that puts Lauren in danger, as we've seen. So Sally wrote, she made a point that it seems like developing a serum to make Faye into humans is a specific process rather than a generic one. The serum she made for Ebony is Ebony-specific. In order to make one for Hera or any other Faye, Lauren seems to need blood, hair, DNA, and months to work on it. Important point. Yes, that is an important point that we've learned. Yes. There's that dream that Bo had about Lauren with the jack-in-the-box. Will that mean she will be... In, how will she be involved in releasing Bo's father or the the plot with the ancients? You know, what will be Lauren's role, if any, as indicated by that dream? And again, is it a prophetic dream? Yeah. Or is it just that those yeah. were two things that Bo happened to have on her mind? That but but her then mind why show then it? So that's what's... Uh, yeah, I, I don't get why they... To make us wonder. <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm kind of hoping it is that yeah, Lauren sure. is important because she has been on the sideline and hasn't had aside from the science and, as you say, the professional development, hasn't had much to do with the ancient plot yet. So let's let's move on and talk a bit about Dyson. Again, like Lauren, I think he's had some nice moments, but not a particularly strong through storyline. I think maybe even less of a through storyline story than Lauren. Yeah. And I was thinking in particular, I was remembering... Because to prepare for this, I was listening to our old episodes because that was actually more time effective than rewatching a lot of them. Because <laughs> I can do that at work. I can, I can listen to our episodes at work. And so in listening to when we were talking about when God opens a window, I was reminded that he has a whole big storyline in that episode about feeling like being a good guy doesn't get him anywhere. And there's that dramatic scene at the end where he wolfs out and he gets Vex to help him kill the hunter guy. But that whole thing about Dyson maybe being sick of being a good guy and willing to break the rules more hasn't really paid off in subsequent episodes. And also, how disconcerting is that, right? Well, and I remember being really, not, not glad, but just it was good to see a different side of Dyson where he is tired of being the good guy because he's been that for so long and it was a great acting bit for Chris Holden Reed and to see that shift in Dyson. So yeah, I am disappointed now that you bring that <laughs> <Shift>. up. <laughs> okay, I just realized that. But it is good to see that because, yeah, you're right, it didn't go anywhere. And then, you know, Mark came up and then we've I feel like we've hardly seen Dyson. So we've just seen him kind of reacting with Mark or having really short scenes. He hasn't had a lot of screen time. And I feel like there's not even a lot of follow through with Mark or there's a lot of Oh, wait a minute. Last episode, you said you, Mark said he hated Dyson. And then, oh, yeah, they're buddies together at the gym. Where where did that scene go? Were they reconciled? And, oh, okay, now you're going to come on cases with me, etc. And then they shifted him over to, shifted, <laughs> <laughs> over to Alicia. Which I like. Which I like. I think that has potential. I feel like maybe they could have left Mark out of the whole storyline and then just put in Alicia and develop that earlier. I, f I feel like that would have worked yeah, better. It, it seemed like introducing Mark as Dyson's son, that was going to be a vehicle for a storyline for Dyson. And that's not how it's played out. It's really been more a vehicle for a storyline for Vex, interestingly enough. Which is vaguely confusing for me. <laughs> yeah. But we have had the, the romance between, or sorry, the impending, I think it's imminent, right? A distinct implied, possibility. Yes, implied, yes. That there's a developing romance between Dyson and Alicia. And, and speaking of breaking the rules, as I like to call her, Boracle, 
urged him to to change the rules of the game that he's been playing with Bo, and and will he go for it? Will we see him be willing to explore a potentially deep romantic relationship with somebody besides Bo? And is it just me, or does it seem like this season they've sort of been setting Dyson up for a settling down story? I think that's uh, yeah. Maybe. I think that's a distinct possibility because they introduce Mark and it, and Dyson's like, oh, your your mother was I forget her name. Um, Piper. Piper. That's right. Right. Good at memory, uh, Annie. Woo. No, it's just because of Piper Parabo. Oh, okay. Right. That's right. Oh. Yeah. She's my favorite charm sister, Piper. <laughs> But he seemed to have this sort of regret that he wasn't around for Mark when Mark was growing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has that sort of exchange with Bo, that very sweet exchange where he, you know, talks about, oh, Mark's going to need a big sister and this sort of thing. And so, but we've gotten to the point where Dyson really has a family now because, you know, they introduced him and he was like this guy who had a pack, but then the pack betrayed him. And so then he's been all lone wolfy and then he's been serving Trick. But now Trick and Bo and the group, you know, they sort of emphasize this family aspect to this group, right? right. It's, it's a found family situation. And then they introduce Mark, and Mark is biologically family. So I think there's this emphasis now on Dyson having a family and sort of really having a greater sense of family in Dyson's life. And so it seems like this whole thing with Alicia, too, it's like maybe this is moving towards Dyson settling down and, and embracing the idea of family. Well, and his relationships with the other characters seem more solidified of pledging fealty to Bo and, you know, really having a good working relationship with Lauren. So I just wish we'd seen more scenes of, again, Mark and Dyson bonding. I've also, speaking of sort of potentially dropped little plot points, you know, we had Bo sleeping with Mark back in When God Opens a Window, and there was definitely some signs of dun 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 Dyson's gonna find out what's he gonna think and he hasn't as as yet and so I did wonder if if Dyson might get wind of that and if that might push him toward having a relationship with Alicia in a way like sort of making Bo a little less perfect in his eyes maybe and encouraging him to find a a romantic love in another spot as well but then I wonder what he'd think of Mark you know, make his son a little less perfect in his eyes, too. You know, that he would just forgive everything. And, you know, he's, he seems to be the easiest. I feel like he would be more upset with Bo. If he's going to be upset, I feel like he'd be more true, upset with true. Bo than, than Mark. Yeah. He'd more likely be protective of Mark, I think. Even if Mark's mm-hmm. a little jerk. Yes. <laughs> but Dyson is nothing if not protective, right? Yes. True, true. And I'm not saying he sh- he will or he should get upset with Bo, but I do think that would maybe change his opinion of Bo in a little bit, a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Here's my problem with this setup in the first place. How would Dyson not already know, since they always make a huge deal about Dyson's sense of smell and how he can smell people from however far away? Like, would he not be able to know that that Mark had just been with Bo? Because... True. Right? Eh, Can't you smell (laughs) sex, Dyson? Jeez. Well, when that was going down, he was realizing that Mark was his son. It was an emotional time, Chris. Other things maybe would have been clouding his his judgment. 
And then I wanted to read from from Baligali again. They say, most welcome surprise, the hint of sparks between Dyson and Alicia. For a long time, Dyson has shown that he doesn't approve of human fae relationships. And if he ends up falling in love with Alicia, it will be a great twist to his story. And I agree. So moving on to Trick, briefly, because nope, nope, nothing's really happened here. <laughs> like... <laughs> I know that was one of my complaints of this season too. Is there's been so very little of trick. Yeah, no, not that there's ever been like a huge amount of trick in. But even in, less. I know. Even less trick. I I've missed him this season. Yeah, because they d- they did address the whole fact that Dyson has now sworn fealty to Bo. It was just in a couple of lines back in when God opens a window, and Trick's just kind of like basically you've always served yourself above all. And he, you know, gave him a kindly smile and walked away. And while I'm glad that they did address it, and I don't know that I wanted Trick to get, like, angry or something like that, it seemed like a missed opportunity to me to maybe get some uh, juicy little B or C plot for Trick with that reveal. And Trick has the acting Ash, and that could have been developed more. And to have Trick, uh, yeah, just have more of an arc instead of just... Well, you know, don't do this, Bo, because, you know, to give warnings and prophecies and pull out his books and to not reveal Make information. Make a weird drink for Zeus. Yeah, <laughs> and be a clam dip lover. And But I was really, really happy to see Isabeau back and that actress back. Yeah, Allison Down. Mm-hmm. It, it's got uh, kind of ominous uh, forebodings, do you think? When she, when it, she says, yes. do you think I'll see you soon? Yeah. Yeah, I'm very curious about that. That definitely has some... Has some possibilities if there's if there's follow through on that comment. If in the latter half of the season there's an episode that focuses an awful lot about Trick, be afraid, everybody. Be very, very afraid. Well, and I feel like we like his power is never mentioned anymore. It's like nobody even says, "Hey, why don't you just write them out of existence?" Or you know, the ancients or whatnot. I mean, they could always bring that up. Just and then he go, "Well, no, you know, there are consequences." But you know, I feel like he's just again more on the side than most of the characters. So yeah, he's not really not not much there, which is disappointing. And then this is tangentially related to to Trick, but I'm curious if the ledger that Iris and Hera stole might play a more major role in the future. Yeah. So far it's pretty much just been looking up Bo's name. Right. With a middle finger. It's the longest and <laughs> but it looks weird. Trick, I think probably my favorite scene with Trick so far has has been when Bo confessed to him that Hades was her father in Here Comes the Night. Mm. And and I like that it was very brief, but I, I I liked Bo's line about how it's time for us to meet the other side of the family, which is why I'm, I'm actually kind of disappointed there wasn't more sort of like Bo trick stuff going on in that subsequent episode when they go to the party. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did get the scene with Zeus, though. He did. He did. At least there was that. Talking about the shield. Mm-hmm. And then we have Vex. Vexy, Vexy. Vexy, as I call him sometimes. And like we mentioned before, I Mark has really been used primarily, it feels like, to give Vex a storyline rather than Dyson. And that has been very interesting and unexpected to me. And I, I really have liked what that little storyline thus far has done for Vex as a character. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential in it. To me, it kind of took a left turn because I was like, Mark, out of all people, for Vex. You know, as you said, it was a really sexy, explicit little scene with fake Mark. And I think that's the kind of 
you know, I kind of like that raw sexuality that that's, that's what the show is known for kind of pushing those boundaries. So I like that, you know, in terms of the male male relationships. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing if Mark gets a clue, which who knows about Vex's affections. I was really curious when this whole thing started, where they were going to go with it, because I, I kind of wondered in light of season four, the revelation that Massimo was Vex's sort of adopted son. It's like, well, is Mark sort of in some way filling in for Massimo? And then like, what would be the repercussions of that? Since of course, Dyson hates Massimo so very much and with good reason. I was kind of wondering about the dynamics in that light. And then it took the turn and like, oh, there's sexual interest. And then I didn't know how to feel. (laughs) I mean, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I like that they're going that way, but at the same time, because I'd sort of been thinking about it the other way, <laughs> I was like, oh, and now I'm confused and, and confused by my own feelings about everything. <laughs> I understand Vex. I understand. <laughs> and the whole fact that they had Vex, and I don't particularly like that they included this, but they had that whole confrontation between Vex and Dyson in the gym. And when God opens the window, when he's explaining his fatherly love for massimo to dyson which seemed to come out of nowhere yeah which is why i don't particularly care for it and then that that also like you're implying chris kind of colors the fact that he's now feeling attracted to dyson's son in kind of a weird way even Mm. though dyson isn't his or sorry mark isn't his own son it's just kind of strange to go from that conversation to by the way i'm crushing on your son right i mean i guess that's part of my issue too is that that is how they reintroduce vex Mm -hmm. by making it all about Dyson being upset about Vex's son, essentially. Right. So, so yeah, stuff is weird. And there's good potential for drama, I suppose, but... Weird drama. Yeah, it's just, like, <laughs> things are so, so confused in terms of relationships and attractions. And yes. Well, I guess things, Oscar likes it messy. Which is sort of thematic of this season, mm-hmm. and I don't quite understand why they're doing it. I'm willing to see where they're going with it. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, why? Can we just have know. straight sex? Everybody who wants to have sex, have sex. <laughs> Not straight Everybody sex, Danny. Not straight Everybody sex. Be, well, I was going to say, you know what I mean, straight the, the sexy one is not exactly. Bo Lauren sex. Oh. <laughs> Dyson Alicia sex. Then you could have Bark and Vex, Vex sex. sex. <laughs> I do wonder if there is a conflict about, maybe about Mark, maybe about just something else brewing between Dyson and Vex, or is it possible that their mutual like affection and care for Mark might actually mend some of the, the fences that uh, have been very yeah. broken between the two of them? I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting. Because, I mean, historically, Vex and Dyson have always been really, really antagonistic towards each other. Very adversarial. Yeah. Adversarial. That's a better word. Thank you. So yeah, it it is one of those, I don't know. I don't know which way this is going to go. I'm interested to see, though. And then we have our formerly Dark Fae, newly human character. We have have Ebony. And I gotta say, I'm very surprised we haven't seen more of her this season so far. Me too. I really, really miss her. But her appearances have been fabulous. They have. They have, but they they set her up for what could have been a pretty decent story arc in season five with her turning her human and how she'll deal with that. And and they haven't capitalized on that potential as much as I thought that they would. 
Yeah, I feel like, again, a lot of screen time was given to Mark and the Ancients, but I felt like going into Season 5, that's where they would have started off, uh, was with Ebony. So it was one of the plot points. So, yeah, I've loved her interactions with Lauren and Lauren's humor at Ebony's expense in some scenes. Yeah. (laughs) But... (laughs) I know, she's evil. She can take it. (laughs) I know. Yeah. And I love how Ebony seems to have not changed as as much you know she still has that bravado that fabulousness and still you know even when she walks into the bar and vex is like you're not supposed to be here and she's like oh yes i am you know she still has that Once sense a of fae, power always a fae. Fae, always fae. Mm-hmm. uh yeah she still has that sense of power and entitlement about her which is so fabulous so but yeah i love seeing that in emmanuel Vogier's performance i hope we get to see more of it although i am worried what trick she has up her sleeve for our dear Lauren. So, And we learned that she has taken on an ancient before. She even dated one. Is it possible she might have useful knowledge for Bo as Bo faces the ancients, ancients later in the season? Also, how old does that make Ebony? Very, very, very. Well, I think it was kind of hinted once, you know, again, it's like her and Trick and Dyson, they're like a thousand or two thousand years old. So they're, I think they're up there. Then finally, in several Q&As at various conventions, Emmanuel Vaugier has mentioned that we would get backstory on Ebony in this final season. And I'm wondering if there's more to come than what we got in Here Comes the Night, because that just felt like a tiny little little morsel. And yeah, yeah. there's way more that they could they could give us about her. Yeah, I can't wait for her to come back. Just don't hurt Lauren. <laughs> Okay, so I got another favorites question. What has been your favorite piece of wardrobe so far? I had such a hard time narrowing this down. Sally said Z's red dress in end of phase with an honorable mention to Bo's black dress. How about you, Chris? What did you choose? I chose several things just because, like, I don't know. <laughs> I liked Bo's casual look from the end of Like Hell Part 2. Mm-hmm. The the outfit that we discussed in our episode on that episode I just said episode an awful lot. <laughs> but I, I like the casual yeah, the soft look. You know, yeah. so often it's skin tight black leather, which is nice. But some variety is good. It's good to change exactly. it up. Oh. I was like, oh, it looks like she's ready to, you know, snuggle a, with the evening in or something. I don't know. I don't know. This is weird rambling on my part. And then what's your other? <laughs> I also liked <laughs> Just for shallowness reasons, <laughs> Dyson was wearing his his too small tank top in When God Opens a Window. I'll have to I'll have to go back and, and look for that. He wears a tank top a lot, and I'm trying to remember what scene does he wear a too small tank top. They're probably all too small tank tops. They're very very clingy, <laughs> but it was working for him. He was he was in the gym. He was boxing at his uh, gym. Okay. Oh, okay. I I think I know what what scene you're talking about. So he's kind of sweaty. Yeah. And a clingy tank top. There you go. But it looks nice on him. He he rocks it. He does. (laughs) He does. He makes it work. And uh, yeah, I guess that's, you know, uh, the Kill Bill outfits were good. The uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. I still Mm -hmm. have issue with the Kill Bill references, but. (laughs) (laughs) Tamsin looked good in the blue and white jumpsuit. Yes, yes. Tamsin and Bo both looked really. Really, really hot. They were rocking. They were. They were. (laughs) How about you, Annie? What did you, what's been (sighs) one of your favorites? Lauren, anything except that weird, 
uh, smock, gray-looking, weird lab coat at the beginning of season two, five. Didn't like and that. And it's just like Lauren in or out, out of, of any of outfits. I'm happy we got the classic, except for that one thing. I'm happy we got the classic lab coat back. Really, really liked the cut of the dress in end of phase and the color. Yeah, I really liked that white shirt she was wearing. I think at the end of uh, I think at the end of Like Hell Part Two. I think it's big in Japan where she or big in Japan. It's, yeah, it's got the collar that's sticking up. The collar, yeah, mm, yeah. That's that's my uh, Twitter icon. Very dreamy. So yeah. I'm a little surprised Annie didn't mention the lab, lab coat, coat only. only outfit. Yes, the lab coat only. Yes, the lab coat only. And yeah, naked Lauren. And he's like, I didn't mention it, but I was thinking about yes. it. <laughs> well, I, as is my way, narrowed it down to one. <laughs> As a Stephanie's like, you guys are awful. <laughs> I picked Bo's black dress in like hell part one and part two. And I think it's mainly the because there's this promo shot from that episode from I think it's technically from like hell part two. Yeah. And she's like step. It's all black. And it, she's taken a step forward out of the elevator. And you can see that really high slit that goes all the way <laughs> practically up to yeah, her yeah, thigh. Yeah. And it's so freaking sexy. Oh, my God, you guys just. Oh, and now I'm imagining Stephanie, like, opening up the web page and going, well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think she looks smashing in that dress. But if I'm going to be, you know all of you guys I'll, i had a hard time picking from the three outfits in like hell part two because she she changes into like that blue top with the shirt skirt and the high boots great outfit and then the casual outfit that you mentioned at the end also looks really good in so Bo, pretty much that episode just looked really great you know what it is about the casual outfit she looks really huggable she does i totally want to snuggle with her exactly <laughs> I gotta say, I've been liking the wardrobe better this season than I did last season. Me too. Just in general, I feel like the wardrobe has been the kimonos has been really good. The ever changing kimonos, <laughs> Lauren in the kimono, Lauren not in the kimono. Sorry, no, I'm not sorry. <laughs> You're not sorry. I'm not sorry. Hello, ladies. It's Kevin Batchelder. As far as thoughts on the first half of season five. Uh, I think I'm similar to to a lot of other folks, certainly going on what you guys have been saying and, and on social media. I mean, it's been great to have the show back, uh, knowing that we only have so many episodes left. Obviously, I was thrilled to have Kenzie back so early, not expecting that. I mean, that was just, uh, you know, I was over the moon on that one. So that was wonderful. Such a great surprise. Obviously, wish she would have been around more in that first half. But, you know, it is what it is. So I enjoyed seeing that there. It was certainly nice with Kenzie gone to see Lauren and Tamsin, I think, getting more screen time and getting a little more comedic lines, shall we say. So that was kind of neat. Uh, I'm uh, enjoying but not loving the big story arc so far. I mean, it's nice to have something that looks like it's, you know, a bit thought out and working through all the episodes, certainly a little stronger than season four's big storylines. But um, I am missing, you know, the fact that we're really not getting a lot of what I call Scooby time, you know, aside from that... Uh, uh, movie night part we got to see in one of the apps. I really was hoping to see more time with the gang, you know, whether sitting around the doll or a clubhouse or anywhere, you know, talking out a case or something. Just a little more of that time, knowing that we only have a handful of episodes left. You know, big story arc isn't that important. Never has been for me in Lost Girl. So uh, I hope we get more of that come the last half of the season because um, it's the emotional side that's always drawn me to this show. 
uh, not so much, you know, what story elements I'm moving around. Appreciate the podcast again. It's great. The fandom, many of you, you know, who call in and leave messages, it's great to talk on social media. It's going to be a long, whatever it is, six, seven, eight months, but I guess we'll roll with it and, you know, look forward to seeing many folks at uh, DragonCon, talking Lost Girl there, and I hope everybody takes care. We got a message from Jay, and I'm not entirely sure what happened. She might have been being abducted by aliens when she left the message. If so, please let us know you're okay, Jay. Just send us a tweet, something. But there was a lot of noise in the background that I wasn't able to clean up, and she was kind of difficult to understand. But I did want to include what I could understand of Jay's message. And she said she had basically two things she wanted to say about the season. First of all, that she was liking the mythology, meaning the ancients, and especially in comparison to season for she thought that was unraveling pretty well but the thing that the second thing the thing that wasn't making her happy was the character relationships which is disappointing to her because that's the primary reason she watches the show and she talked about mark in particular and and how he has she feels like he has taken away screen time from the the main cast of characters she also mentioned wanting to rant about valgibus but saying that she wouldn't but i kind of wish she had but actually it's okay because you couldn't hear it anyway call us back jay and leave a rant about valgibus i'm sure it'd be great so thank you jay for sending in that message i apologize that the quality wasn't better but you should send us your thoughts again and then I wanted to include a few more comments from people that they, they sent in. Uh, this is from J.D. Knight, just some general thoughts about the season. I believe J.D. is a he. He said, this season has been a disappointment. They could have done more with Kenzie's and Bo's visit to the afterlife. We could have seen them interact with people they had known previously. And then he also brings up a point, which I think is, is a good one to make. If Zeus is also Odin, then Hera should also be Freya. And that's a good point, because they're making this whole argument for these you know these gods are the same fey essentially but they have different guises in different cultures and if we're seeing hera then freya is the equivalent of hera in norse mythology but we've seen a separate freya it just gets this me all my confused. issue though because like i don't know that we can say that everything's going to be a one-to-one comparison just because We've already had Ryan, who is a Loki. Right, but I I, I think he so. has a good point in that, because I think we feel like this whole trying to say that, oh, this one fae is just sort of a, a, a deity in many cultures, it, it's problematic given the context of Lost Girls history. Well, that's what I'm yeah. saying, is this is what I was trying to get at earlier when I was complaining about this yeah. <laughs> aspect of the story, because it confuses the existing mythology of the show. Yeah, I think it does, to me, too. Or at least in my mind, it's... Uh, I don't know anything don't know. about I... the mythology. I just want the non-squeaky sex. <laughs> that actually leads in perfectly to what I was going to read from RH's comment. And there was more to RH's comment than this, but the part I wanted to highlight in, in, in their list of, of, of things that they haven't liked... The last one is having both sleep with people for no other reason than plot and shock value. From Persephone to Tamsin, I didn't feel like there was any point narratively to go there at all. It has always been clear that Tamsin loves slash has a crush on Bo, but Bo has never shown any interest in that way. And while I feel like there was fallout from Bo and Tamsin sleeping together, you know, the other sex scenes in this and that have happened so far in this season, they haven't felt particularly necessary to me. And the that's been something- one was. <laughs> well, okay, fine. That okay, that's a good point. Yes, that one was necessary. But from uh, from Persephone uh, with Mark, it just kind of felt not quite in the spirit of Lost Girls sex scenes, which have usually been very plot relevant I agree. and not quite as problematic <laughs> as some of these have been. Not quite. As I squeaky. mean, she was at least injured and did actually need healing. 
in some of those instances. Right. So they're not completely unnecessary, but I I get your point. Yeah, I, they just haven't felt as necessary as they usually do. Yeah. And I will say, I will say though, and I think Chris will back me up here, we'll call it a makeout scene because we don't really see anything more, but the makeout scene between Bo and Persephone, very sexy. You know I will back you up because I sent you a message the other Chris, day. Chris, come on, I'm Maybe doing a thing yesterday. here. <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm just letting you guys do your thing. 100% transparency! <laughs> I did. I sent Stephanie a message yesterday. It was like, you know, I know it's weird, but that scene's very sexy. It is very sexy. And then finally, Jesslyn commented, the season opener was great. It set up what could have been a really strong two-parter, but I thought 502 was one of the weakest. It didn't follow through on any of the tension. Likewise with 507 and 508. Personally, I'm hoping that Michael Grassi writes most of the remaining episodes. He wrote my favorite episodes last season and my two favorite episodes so far this season. And I have also. Particularly enjoyed Michael Grassley's episodes. Agreed. Yeah. Finally, I wanted to mention the the themes that have been prominent in this season. We've, of course, had gods and sort of our concept of gods and what gods are. Bo, of course, has that line to her father in like Hell Part 2 where she says, you know, you're not a god, you're a coward. And then the ancients have been here, of course. Family, always a big one on this show. This idea of found family and who's my true family versus you who's just relate, you know, related to me by blood. Truth, obviously, was a big theme in Here Comes the Night, truth-telling. Life and death has been a big theme. We've had Kenzie come back from the dead. We've had the ancients walking around in bodies that are technically dead but are kind of alive again. Which is really gross. <laughs> They're not gross like zombies, though. Yeah, I know, but it's still creepy. It's, it's upsetting, yeah, it is. is what it, it is, is to me, more than gross. And then finally, we've had we've had blood. the The murders that Iris has perpetrated as has left those pools of blood and the Triskeel and uh, Bo's blood has been mentioned several times. Trix mentions it in in Big in Japan at the end, where he's talking about I share your blood wherever you go, I go. And her her blood was what tricked the oracles into going to other people before ultimately finding her, which I did like. We didn't mention that, but I like that call back to the fact that they had injected Bo's blood into them for for the purpose of fighting the Garuda. Yeah. And and going back to the whole gods thing for a second. Sure. In Big in Japan, the storyline of that episode, the the case is that Musashi is going to be they're going to ascend him into, you know, godlike status, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That's a good point. So then I'm like confused <laughs> because later it's like Oh, we're talking about the ancients, which are Fae revered as gods. But if that's still going on, then like, I, I don't know. I just, I, for some reason, got thrown by that in rewatching Big in Japan, because mm. now it's, it's essentially talking about the same thing, but they're giving it sort of a different reasoning again. Is, is it a situation where both are like means of being a quote unquote god? Like, I don't know. What's the deal, man? But I think we also have this concept of particular groups of people treating particular entities as gods. And maybe that's the case with with Musashi. I don't think he would ascend to a god that Bo or Kenzie or Tamsin would necessarily recognize. But to his family, to his his people, he would be like a god. I suppose that's fair enough. But I don't know. So what has been what has been your favorite quote of the season so far? Chris... Let's start with you, because you have a blank on on my outline, and I want to put you on the spot. (laughs) Because I wasn't, like, I I hesitated to put this down, because I know 
that this is an existing answer for other people because it's he's an asshole <laughs> perceived by me as an asshole. Yes, that was also the the one that I picked as well as Sally. She picked two. She picked that one. And even ancients have their Achilles heel. Because there, there are other really good lines, but they're usually in the context of some bigger thing and just on their own are sort of less uh, resonant, right. I guess. Because, like, you know, the the scene between Bo and Kenzie and Kenzie's like, oh, this place is definitely hell. Would you like a Belgian waffle? Like, I enjoyed that. Right. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it's you know. funnier when you see what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. And the and same thing. Like, I really love Kenzie's line. Like, I'm so sorry. I was aiming for your boob. But it's <laughs> it's it's much funnier in the context of that actual inter- interchange right. between the two of them. So how about you, Annie? What was what was the quote that you picked? Well, the first one that came to mind. Yeah, I'm the boss. But also, what is it? Lauren Oracle's line to Bo. Loracle. 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 I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Loracle. How, uh, how did she say it was like a double negative? We never can't be together. We can't not be together. We can't not be together. Like, as long as we're alive. As long as, we're as, long as we walk this earth, earth, we can't not be together. <sighs> I, was, I was sure Annie was going to say, oh boy, yes. Me too. But you know what, though? You know how cool it is to have Zoe say that line to you and just smile and look at you? Because I asked her about Docubus, and she goes, oh yeah, the oh boy yes line, and I was very red when she said that to me. (laughs) Again, I I had a Skype call with her. So, yeah, that line too. I also wanted to give an honorable mention to Holy Odin, your jawline is insanely distracting, because that has been (laughs) probably the most useful quote that I've gotten out of this season so far, because I say it to Zoe Palmer pretty much every time I'm watching an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I don't say it directly to her, but I say it to my screen. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a good thing you weren't on, on a Skype the call. Skype call with Annie. <laughs> that would have gotten awkward. <laughs> We'd love to hear your thoughts about season five thus far. You can go and share those over in the comment section for this, for the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 94. You can also send us an email like several people did for this episode. Thank you very much. Email us at feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. You can also call and leave a voicemail at 972-514-7223, or you can send us a voice message through your computer or mobile device by clicking on the Send Voicemail tab on the right-hand side of our website. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. More good sex in the latter half of season five. My name is Annie. I have questions, apparently. And my name is Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Okay, push and record. Squiggle check. And of course, just as I try to start <clears throat> recording, I get like a huge lump in the back of my throat. Fantastic. It's the emotion overcoming. <laughs> I'm so emotional about bra shopping. <laughs> I hate it, you guys. I hate it. <laughs> and that's why I always clear my throat whenever we start recording. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> I'd like to request that Anybody who's listening to the live stream, please tweet the drinks at the doll account with whether or not you're wearing a bra right now. Yeah, because we, we did and a, what kind we did a of survey. In what kind of bra you're wearing? Underwire? No will underwire. You, will you wear underwire bras? This is the question of the last 10 minutes. Sports bra. What color? And this is why the broadcast started late. 
Yes. <laughs> broadcast. Get it? It's a broadcast. 